So good evening to one and all here tonight and to those joining with us on our podcast service. Welcome to the House of God here at Christian Outreach Centre. It's fantastic that you're here and I pray that God will minister to you powerfully uh, this evening through the Word of God. I'd like for us if we could go to Acts chapter 7 and uh, opening up at verse uh, 58, if you would. So we go to Acts chapter 7 and verses 58, and we read the chilling words as we first come across a man who witnessed, who condoned, and consented to the brutal murder of the first martyr, whose name was Stephen. Now, the man who did the consenting, the condoning, and the witnessing was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a religious man, brought up under the tutelage of Gamaliel and Tarsus. He had Roman citizenship. He had all the greatest credentials of, uh, of any man of his today. He was a sharp intellectual man, a person of authority, and he had a man who was going places. He had a career plan all marked out for him. And, they, and we could see that here is uh, uh, Stephen... And he was brought before the Sanhedrin and he was being tried. It was a bit of a kangaroo court like Jesus' court. Anyway, and uh, they cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. What an amazing thing, those martyrs of old. And even today, there are more martyrs in this very day than there was in any ancient time. Right now, there's more people being persecuted for the gospel. And we go into Acts chapter 8, and we learn a little bit more about this man, this amazing man called Saul, and he was consenting to his death, that's Stephen's death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, that was at this time. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Oh, he was a brutal guy in these early days. I'd like for us now just to go through to the following chapter, and it's chapter number nine, and uh, I'll uh, read a few more verses here and paraphrase as I go along. It's good to get a good understanding of this man called Saul because he ended up being the man named Paul and he wrote two-thirds, or sorry, one-third of the whole of the New Testament. And basically he was a world changer. Without, without Saul, this man called Saul, the world would not be the way it is as we know it. How so dramatically did he change it? Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. He was their number one student, so he was very influential. And he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, 
so that if he found any who were of the way, that means that of this new group or sect called Christians, later they were to be known as, whether men or women, he might bring them bound in Jerusalem. And this is his conversion experience. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And so here in this instance, it's interesting to note that Saul didn't know the Lord, but the Lord knew Saul. And before you come to know the Lord, the Lord knew you. Amen? He knows you. He knows your steps. He knows your breaths. He knows your tears, which he keeps in a bottle. He knows the number and the breath of your days. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? That's called a sharp stick, which he used to goad the cattle on. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. I'll just persevere a little bit longer, read a few more verses, because gaining an understanding of how this man came to know the living Christ can transform your life. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and he said to the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And that's the oldest, one of the oldest streets in the world. Damascus is still there, and the street called Straight is still there to this day. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, is he praying. And in a vision he has seen a man called Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And the long and short of it there is, there was a revelation of Jesus Christ to this man called Saul. Knocked off his horse and a bright light came from heaven. The people around him didn't know what went on in Saul's life. And such as it is when you come to experience Jesus Christ, some of the people closest to you won't recognize you or understand this conversion experience called this born-again experience. He says, who are you, Lord, and what must I do? So he did not know God, but God knew him. And so there's three accounts of Paul's conversion and commissioning. And he said, who are you, Lord, and what must I do? And so with this conversion experience came a commission or a mandate or a mission. And so it is with you and I, if you will hear the voice of the Lord, with your conversion experience will come a mission and a mandate for you to go on. And you should ask, and Lord, what must I do? Remember when Samuel first heard the Lord's voice, who are you, Lord? Amen. 
Who are you, Lord? Here I am, Lord, for your servant is listening, said the young Samuel. And so there's three accounts now. Paul's conversion experience in Acts 9, 1 to 18. And the second time he accounts his full conversion experience is in Acts 22. And it was witness, and he gave that conversion experience line upon line, exactly as you read it here in Acts 22. And that was witnessed by the commander of the garrison, the soldiers, centurions, which means leaders over hundreds, and also a raging mob in Jerusalem. He gave his conversion experience. And also in Acts 26, before King Agrippa, Bernice, and the governor Festus, Paul once again gives his full conversion experience. So it's read, it's written three times in this book of Acts is Paul or Saul's full conversion experience. And so the title of my message tonight is, Have You Met the Risen Christ? Because Saul of Tarsus, a man who opposed everything that was of God, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was a religious man. But he did not know Jesus. He knew about God, but did not know God. Isn't that amazing? That people can know all about God, but not know God. My, my question to you tonight is, do you know Jesus? Perhaps you've heard about him as a great teacher. Perhaps you've heard about him as a, God, a, an, as a moral sort of man. Somebody who influenced the world for good. Perhaps you've heard about him. But do you know him? Do you know about him or do you know Jesus? But one encounter with the risen Christ changed this murderer and made him a missionary in the space of three verses. It's amazing. When you encounter the risen Christ, it transforms your life. It transformed him from being a persecutor of believers in a way to a proclaimer and a presenter of the gospel. When you meet the risen Christ, it'll change you too. No longer will your friends be able to recognize you. And that was my greatest accusation when I became a, a Christian 30-odd years ago was my, uh, my family said, your friends don't even know who you are anymore. And I said, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? And that's amazing, isn't it? When you come to Christ, you are not recognized any longer by the people who formerly knew you. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if he had just heard just a sermon, perhaps if Saul had just attended a church, or if he just finished a theological degree, he was a, he was a theological thinker, he was an astute thinker, he was the sharpest instrument in the cabinet. And, uh, but he had not met with Jesus the Christ. If he had not met with Jesus the Christ... If he had not met the resurrected Christ, eternity's only king and monarch of the universe, he could have just been a theologian with a degree. And many theologians this very, very day and through the centuries past have been great theological intellects but have no knowledge of God. They know immense things about God. They know all the theological terminology, which I absolutely hate. When you get into theological degrees and all sorts of things, it comes with its own language. And it's also flamboyant and so eloquent and so uh, sickening. <laughs> I can't stand all that jargon that they use. Many of them know more about Socrates and Plato than they know about the Bible. Isn't that incredible? Why would you want to go down that road? 
But you see, see, Saul didn't just hear a good sermon. He met with the risen Christ. And my question to you today is, have you met with the risen Christ? For those listening online, you're driving along in your car, and I ask you today, have you met the risen Christ? Because that's the thing that makes all the difference. Have you met with a denomination or have you met with Jesus Christ? Have you met with a church? Have you met with a pastor or minister? Maybe one of your aunties is a nun or something like that. And that's your claim to your religious instruction. Oh, but have you met with Jesus today? It's no wonder that Saul, now Paul, was not recognized by those who previously knew him. Ananias was reluctant to go and lay his hands on Paul because it would have been like going, go and see the bloke called Adolf Hitler and lay hands on him. Amen? Imagine being a Jew in 1940 and being going asked to lay your hands on Adolf Hitler because the Lord instructed you. You would be very reluctant to do so, wouldn't you? having the knowledge that perhaps he was or had already killed a couple of million Jews. Amen? Or was responsible for it. And that's how Saul was. He was a man who was persecuting Christians, dragging them and bringing them back to Jerusalem and having his way. In Acts 9.21, it says, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who called on his name in Jerusalem? And this is speaking of Saul. And he has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. And the churches in Judea we're hearing in Galatians 1.23. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. You see, he was a changed man. Why? Because he heard a sermon? Why? Because he went to a church? Or why? Because he met with the risen Christ. I pray that you've met with the risen Christ tonight. Because that's where it's at. It's not religion. Religion cannot save you. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a religious man. He was a zealous man. He was zealous for the things of God, but he had no knowledge of the ways and the heart of God. And But when he came to Christ, he turned from the, from the persecutor to the proclaimer of the gospel. And all the people could say was, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. He was a radical man. And just as he was as radical and zealot to destroy the Christians, now he was just radical to proclaim this great gospel message. You see, religion is not what he needed. And a new denomination is not what we need here today. And uh, to proclaim a new way when Jesus stated 2,000 years ago that he is the way. We don't need a new way today. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. You know, so the people were called the people of the way. Uh, almost 12 months ago, just shy of 12 months ago, my brother passed away on the 27th of September last year. And he was only 62 years old. And I'd just like to reflect a couple of words in the eulogy that are, are my part of the eulogy that I gave at my brother's funeral, not quite 12 months ago, just two weeks shy. That's all it was. And he was a man who made all of our lives richer. He was born in the, the 16th of April, 1960, and he died in the, in the arms of my brother and his wife, and Robert was the eldest of the, us five children, born to my mum and dad, who thought that they couldn't even have children. 
And it was really out of that barrenness that some of the best things are always born. Amen? My mum and dad thought they were going to have to adopt. And when they decided to adopt, whatever happened, I don't know, but five children came quickly along the way. I was number three. And so a symbol of his father's strength, and that's what the Bible says, the firstborn is the symbol of his father's strength. And my brother certainly was physically strong. Not a huge man, not a big man, but he was a bit wider, but a strong man, a powerful sort of guy. And uh, as a younger brother, I thought that Robert gained his physical strength from the amount of milk that he drank. And we used to get milk dropped off at our front door. Remember those days? And when you went to school, there was crates and crates of milk for all the school kids. And he always scoffed everybody else's. And I copped a bit of flack from my older brother at times. And I thought, when I get bigger, I'm going to get him back. But I never did get him back and I never did get any bigger. And that was just one of those things. Robert was a strong runner, a left-handed man, thought outside the box. When young, he had artistic tendencies, and he was generous, a generous sort of guy. And, uh, and he was uh, with his first paycheck from the service station where he worked when he was at school. He bought generous gifts for us all. And uh, he led the family as, as us five children in what I would call fully sanctioned child labor. My dad always had five kids towing behind him, and we were always helping carrying bricks and timber building houses and fixing businesses, whatever they bought, working at the brickyard which Dad had. And so in later years, my brother Robert, uh, he came home from the pub. And the title, in, the, in, in fact, uh, the whole message of my brother's funeral or celebration service was he was known as a diamond in the rough. And that's what he was. My brother was a wild brumby of a lad. He was, you never just met Robert, it was always an experience. It was an encounter. And, uh, but he came home from the pub one Friday night and brought out a little puppy out of his pocket. Fully drunk he was, and Robert was as well. And uh, he brought out this little, and he says, uh, this is a Labrador, he held it in one hand. And he says, for another ten bucks I could have got its papers. But of course he wasn't a Labrador and he never grew much bigger than that ever. And so my brother was a diamond in the rough. And I remember he came home from the pub one night, opened up a timber, a huge timber screen, tore it clean off its hinges, straight off its hinges. My mum was just stood back in awe and us kids were thoroughly entertained. It was a great thing to see my brother do that. He went in to have a shower closed the door and all of a sudden I heard a mighty crack and he put his, he said, the water's cold and he put his hand straight through a tiled wall. He was a wild brumby of a guy, lovable guy, but wild, wild. And so I was asked to share a bit of a facet of Rob's life, this diamond in the rough. But it wasn't a facet of Robert's life that I ever wanted to share, but there was a defining moment in my brother's life which radiated everything else that he did in life. And the words that I share with you now are the words that I know that my brother would want to share with you. So I do this in my brother's honour. It was in the Christmas of 1992, and I had the greatest experience and privilege in my life to lead my brother Robert to Jesus. Beautiful thing. He was my older brother. I was the youngest. And I led my oldest brother to Jesus. 
And you never did just meet Robert. It was always an encounter. And so it was that moment in time when Robert had an encounter with Jesus. It was a, it was a, a Saul on the road to Damascus experience when my, my brother met Jesus Christ. And he was called a diamond in the rough, but it was when the diamond in the rough met the pearl of great price. And we know the pearl of great price is Jesus. And Robert didn't give his life. He didn't give his life to a theology. My brother was this wild brumby of a man. He never gave his life to a church. He never gave his life to a list of good deeds. He didn't sit under a pyramid and navel gaze. He simply surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Amen. He saw the risen Christ. We prayed earnestly. His heart was switched on. His eyes were opened to the things of the Spirit, and Jesus revealed himself to this wild brumby of a man called Robert Brockman. And the result or outworking of that courageous decision was seen in every facet of his life that was lived with a conviction that is rarely seen today. I want to say if you receive Jesus Christ, live your life with conviction. Amen? How few people live with conviction today. He had a business, a printing business, and did so. he did all these things just before he died. He did all those things, you know, the, all our artwork, the signage for this church. It was the last job that he did. And he was pushing it through because I didn't know, but he must have known that he not, was not to be long for the earth. And so he pushed it through, me not knowing exactly what was going on. And so all this here, all these beautiful banners that you see are his work. And they were the last, and it was the last work that he did. But the, over the doorway to his factory worship, workshop where he had about six employees uh, is the scripture, Joshua 24, 15, where Moses' protege said to a wandering people, no different today, he said, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he had that scripture over the front entrance to his business. And so he was out there and he didn't mind one bit. Everything that he did from the moment that he encountered Jesus the Christ 30 years ago, Robert was just simply a man of his word. And i got to say, it's a little bit of a rare thing for people to be of their word. But I encourage you today, be a person of your word. When you give your life to Jesus, don't take it back. Just live for him. And so uh, he came with me uh, to Israel in 2016 for the first two and a half weeks. He said g'day to everybody that he met. He wore a wild uh, uh, Akubra hat, I think, an effervescent lime green shirt. And, uh, but he just loved people, amen? And I trust that when he gets to heaven, that he's in, I know he's there now that the Lord's given him a new wardrobe. But... Uh, but Rob's life was like one of the prophets of old, uh, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was never motivated by what he saw. He was motivated by what he believed. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? We're called to live by faith. And Robert did exactly that. He was the message. Amen? And that's you, like you and I. We are the message. When you walk down the street, down Charters Towers, or wherever you're listening in online, you are the message. Amen? 
that sometimes you are the Bible, the only Bible that a lot of people will read until they encounter Jesus for themselves. And so at, on the entrance to his property, he had a massive cross, a three-meter cross, and it had a story all of its own as well. And on this cross, facing on the highway, the Beanley the Bow Desert Highway was, are you prepared for eternity? Oh, he lived for Jesus. Once he encountered the person of Jesus Christ, oh, I pray today, I pray today, uh, uh, have you met the risen Christ? For those listening online, have you met the risen Christ? And so, I didn't talk Rob into it, because that means he could have been talked out of it. It wasn't an incoming fashion just to give your life to Jesus because fashions come and fashions go. It wasn't a head transformation, but it was a heart revelation. Amen? Have you had a heart revelation today? And if you have, be a person of your word. Stick to your guns and live for Jesus to the day that he brings you home. When heaven came down and glory filled your soul. Remember that old song? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. It's a beautiful song, isn't it? An old school song. What happens when glory, when heaven comes down and glory fills your soul? John Wesley, the man who started the Methodist movement, he was a proclaimer of the gospel or theology. He was, a, he was the Oxford Don, went to the Oxford College. He, could, he was a theological man. He could speak Hebrew and Greek. He could converse with his brother Charles fluently in Latin. And he went to the Americas to convert the heathen over there, but realized he wasn't converted himself. He was a theological man, but that's all he had. Till the day at Aldersgate when his heart was strangely warm and there was a revelation of Jesus Christ and heaven came down and glory filled his soul. There was a defining moment. John Wesley in his all, old, all of his autobiographies can state the day, the month and the hour and the minute when there was a revelation of Jesus Christ. I trust that you know when you have met the risen Christ. Some people cannot tell you where, where they, or if they have met the risen Christ. They're sitting in church for decades but can't tell you any of those things. I challenge you today, if you like that, you need to meet with Jesus, amen? You need to meet with Jesus, amen? So what held Paul onto uh, his vision, his conquest of proclaiming the gospel throughout all of Europe and changing the continent, changing the world? He says, I know in whom I have believed. He says, because I am fully persuaded. He says in another place, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What heavenly vision? When the time that he met with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God in Acts chapter 9. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I know who has claimed the allegiance of my heart, he says another place in Romans. What a glorious message it is. I pray this. Let's stand to our feet right now. Just stand to our feet right now. You can have God as a moral concept in your, in your mind, or you can have him as a, li a living reality in your life. And it's often been said that a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy with an argument, or for that matter, with a theology or a concept or any other such thing. I've had people want to contend with me verse by verse about ridiculous scriptures. 
And I think, well, I've been to the cross. I've met with Jesus. And it puts all theology to flight when you're met with Jesus. Amen? You can have your, your nitpicking theology. It's good to have a theology. But let not your heart be led by doctrine, but by the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, and to those listening online, I pray in Jesus' name that these people, Lord, would call out to the name of Jesus. We call out to the name of Jesus, Lord God, here in the house tonight. I pray, Lord, that people would call upon your name and be gloriously saved. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray a, a prayer right now. I don't have any music accompaniment right now, but I just pray. If this prayer is from the depths of your heart, it will transform you from someone who be a persecutor of the people of the way to a proclaimer of the gospel because you have encountered the risen Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you now. Let's pray this prayer out loud, real loud, okay? Father, I come to you now. In Jesus' name, forgive me, Lord God, of my sin. Cleanse and wash me with your blood. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I receive the Holy Spirit into my heart. I thank you, Lord God, that I'm born again of the Spirit of the living God. And I have met with the risen Christ in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.